On this episode of DLN Extend, we discuss how we pick our computer hardware. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 68 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community from places like the DLN Discourse Forums, Telegram Groups, Discord Servers, and more. We also take topics from other shows around the network and give our takes. And with me today are my fine co-hosts, Wendy, the photographer extraordinaire, and Nate, the one that is constantly moving around, apparently. What is going on, guys? Moving in. That's what's going on here. Are you moving in or are you done moving out, is the question. I'm well done moving out. I didn't realize how much of a pain in the tuchus it is to start moving in properly. (laughs) So everything is just a disaster. Okay, hold on. Before you go on, it's more of a disaster than normal. How's that? That works. There you go. We moved into this house almost seven years ago, and there's still stuff in the garage that hasn't been put away. But to be fair, I was 32 weeks pregnant when we moved. I mean, that doesn't explain the fact that my youngest is almost seven, but... I'm sure you get around to it. (laughs) Eventually. I'm pretty sure (laughs) that that's stuff we don't need anymore and can just go find another home. Wendy, what have you been up to, though? I actually got away this last weekend. We were three days in the mountains. It was absolutely fantastic to disconnect once again and get away from technology. Well, not complete technology. I did have my camera there. And one of the funnest things about this last visit is the chipmunks were absolutely everywhere. Very entertaining. And I have recently shared a picture that I took this last weekend in the fun with dark table post on the discourse forums. And there was this golden mantle chipmunk, golden mantle ground squirrel, whatever you want to call it. But it was really hot up there. So he was running around gathering stuff. And then he'd go lay on that cool brick in the shade and just kind of chill out for a little bit, cool down. I happened to get close enough to him with my long lens to get a nice full picture of his body as he's just trying to cool down before running to gather more food. I think that's cool. Actually, watching animals do their thing, seeing like the beauty of nature, I think one, it's good for you, but- Yes. I think it's awesome also that you shared those pictures. Beauty of nature and the terror of nature. Unfortunately, there was like three or four of the little chipmunks that had bot flies growing on them. So you always feel bad for them. What can well, yeah, you of course. Nature's trying to kill you all the time. I mean, that's just how nature works. But it's how still, it is. Yeah. So you can still find the beauty in all the murder of, of nature. Otherwise, it looks really good except for these massive, uncomfortable growths. Yeah. I did take a look at that picture in Fun with Dark Table, and that was a really cool picture. It's always nice to see... Get out and away from technology and enjoy this weird thing that's up in the sky. I think it's called the sun. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure. I like to visit it on a regular basis and get out of this dark hole. It's good for me. Is it really? Because that usually involves either some combination of people. (laughs) Well, you don't have to see people, especially if you're going to the mountains. Like I know you're planning to do at some point, getting away from people and just relaxing a bit. Yes, definitely. Definitely get that though. So on that move, I know you're planning on having your recording studio, the whole cubicle labs in a different place beside the house. How's that going, Nate? So far, terribly. I'm currently in the basement of the house and I don't have anything set up because uh, nothing is going as planned. But I think that's, you know, par for the course for anything that I do in life. I did get, and I just came in yesterday and it was supposed to be hooked up yesterday. I haven't turned them on yet, but I got these outdoor wireless bridge devices. You can have one master unit that can serve a bunch of other units, essentially. 
if you have them. I'm only going to have a need for one at this time, but it's supposed to go up to three kilometers, 900 megabits per second at three kilometers or something like that. If it's no interference, I have to go less than a hundred feet. So I'm hoping I get near a 900 megabits per second. Not that I need that much at this time, but I'm really excited to try these out today. So hopefully by next time we record, I might actually be not in where I am right now. They're about the size of like from like the tip of my fingers to about the base of my hand in height. A few controls on it, not very much. And basically they're supposed to be automatically setting and then go. Initially, I wanted to bury a cable from here to there. And then I, I kind of right. looked at it. And then along with all the other work I had to do, I'm like, you know what? $70 says this is the way to go. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. I'm interested in doing some tests as far as like, if I park my truck in a stupid spot behind my house, will it block it? You know, things like that. Will the metal from the vehicle actually obstruct? The tallest pole I could buy right now is like six feet. At this time, I'm just put it at the six foot height. On the other building, it'll be like above the door height. And I'm hoping this will work. As far as like setting up all my stuff for doing recording right now, in my basement, I did show you on the camera this, but I drilled a half inch hole into a two by six and put a brick in the other end of the board to keep my microphone stand from falling because I couldn't find my temporary stand in the move. So everything is a mess right now, but hey, there we are. You're getting there. There's nothing easy about moving. One of the things my husband likes to tell me is a plan is a list of things to go wrong. So you're just right on track. That seems actually 100% correct. Apparently Magneto is very wise. So Matt, while I'm struggling to set up my recording today, I imagine there's more hardware for you. I don't know what you're talking about. It's not like I just recently bought more hardware. It seems like the more I try to get rid of stuff, the more I get to replace it. This happens on a regular basis though. It's not just right now. You're like, I am going to declutter. I'm getting rid of this stuff. Oh, by the way, I found this really cool deal on this thing and I got X, Y, Z. Uh-huh. I don't know what you're talking about, Wendy. I have right. no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> There was a legitimate reason for me to actually get this piece of hardware. You had some money burning a hole in your pocket? I wish that was totally the case. Mm. That's what I'm going to go with. If you want to go right ahead, NVIDIA is sunsetting the support for the drivers in my current editing station. So that means that they're going to the legacy drivers, which I'm never 100% sure if those include a lot of like the NBank and all that kind of stuff. I haven't used the legacy drivers in so long. I don't remember. I'm lazy. I'm going to be real to look and dig through documentation and all that stuff. I don't care. The system is showing its age. I can't deny that part. I mean, it's a second gen i7 and uh, essentially a GTX 760. It's getting there. It's long in the tooth. But I was like, man, that's going to be a problem. So I was looking online and I do have a HP Omen that is an RTX 2060. That machine I keep as a Windows machine specifically for the RTX to see where the next big thing in gaming is supposedly supposed to be going. That's the only reason I keep that machine as is. I ended up finding a Asus, see if I can remember the actual name. It's an Asus Tough Dash Slim 15, I believe is the actual name. I love OEM naming conventions. It's great. It's an i7 11th gen, so it's only a four core eighth thread. Unfortunately, Intel with their newer CPUs decided to go from six cores on their i7s to four cores. Of course. Well, of course, it's Intel. And it only had eight gigs of RAM. I installed a extra eight gigs that I had kicking around. So 16 gigs of RAM and a 512 NVMe. The difference is it's running an RTX 3050 Ti. So it's not a traditional video card. It's the lower end RTX card. It's a four gig RTX card, which is interesting. Windows did not survive even initial boot. I basically got the machine, went into the BIOS, disabled secure boot and anything else that was necessary to make it boot off a USB. Anything paved windows to oblivion. Unfortunately, it took a little bit of distro hopping, which I haven't done in a while. Wait, so you're saying Windows failed right out of the gate. It just didn't work. No, no, no. Windows would have worked if I just didn't nuke and pave it from the sky. He didn't allow it to work is what he was saying. 
Ah, uh, I see. Literally, the first <laughs> version of an OS it saw like on the disk was not Windows. Gotcha. First initial boot was actually a Linux distro. I made it as far as the UEFI BIOS for Windows. Problem was, I ran into was in both distros I initially tried were Arch-based distros. And Nate's got to groan at this Of one. course. I won't groan on microphone. No, you just tell me you told me so. So I tried Garuda and I tried Salient and both of them failed by giving me these weird error UUID. This is after I installed to the disk. It was giving me these weird error UUID and give you the UUID number. And it would be like, can't find it. Then it would say we're dropping to emergency shell and then it would plop you into root FS. And leave you on a blinking cursor. And you're like, okay, start X, start X. Nope. Start KDE. Nope. <laughs> I did this a couple of different times and it just didn't want to work. I went with Pop OS initially, which anybody who knows me, I'm a plasma guy. All three of us are <laughs> plasma fans here. Let's be real. This is true. Actually, I didn't have any problems installing Pop OS. All of the graphics, everything worked. Awesome. Great. Newest drivers. Fantastic. Didn't care that it was GNOME or whatever. And that was on 2004. Pop OS 2004. However, once you run a full screen application on the 3050, apparently, and you hit the super key for the overview that normally would bring up all the activity stuff in GNOME, the only thing that was useful was the top panel that allowed me to right click on stuff and close it or exit the system. Everything else in GNOME froze. Nice. I couldn't get back to a game that was full screen. I tried it in full screen. I tried it in borderless window mode. Nothing worked. That's a problem. I thought it was maybe because I was doing some test footage, seeing how well the GPU worked, how well it worked in Linux. So I was running OBS, did it without OBS. Still didn't work. It still did the same thing. Didn't matter the game, tried a few different games. Same issue. I'm actually on Wendy's distro right now. I went to Manjaro. You know what? It's Arch-based and everything works. Nice. Manjaro has done amazing things when it comes to working with NVIDIA and getting it to run. We have a Lenovo that has an NVIDIA card in it. It's the one that my daughter absolutely loves to use. And part of the reason why she loves that laptop is it's one of the ones that's meant for quote unquote gamers. So it's black and red and all. Yeah, absolutely loves it. Anyway, that's beside the point. But the best thing that runs on that laptop is Manjaro. And it's because of the work they've done in getting either Bumblebee or Optimus Optimist is now working best, but getting that stuff to work so that you can actually use the full capabilities of that laptop. See, I think that's amazing when they put all that extra effort into it. I'm actually impressed that it's working as well as it is. Honestly, that's really awesome. The laptop's a little weird. The Intel card is Intel XE graphics with NVIDIA 3050 Ti. What I do generically is I install NVIDIA Optimus Manager or whatever QT that allows for the graphics switching. And I just tell it to always use the NVIDIA card unless I'm going portable, then I'll put it on the Intel drivers. They have done tremendous work on making this a whole lot better than the weird hacky way of doing Bumblebee used to be and all just kind of the annoying stuff. Nice little machine. I'd say it's worth the money. We'll get into something, a story that I told Wendy <laughs> about when we choose hardware a little bit later in the show. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service. With MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable, high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. 
Simply offload your MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean and let them handle the provisioning, managing, scaling, updates, backups, and security for your clusters. DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc. And together, they have ensured that you will get access to all the latest releases of MongoDB document database as they become available. As a listener of DLNX 10 podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. Again, go to do.co slash DLN dash M-O-N-G-O and get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new Manage MongoDB. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. When it comes to getting new hardware, we talked a little bit about what I need in my hardware, but the real question is how do we choose our hardware? Is it budget? Is it spec? Is it something in between? Are we cheap? Are we Michael where you have to curb out your wallet open? Or are we a little bit different in every respect on what we're looking for in our technology as far as our hardware when it comes to computers? Nate, how do you decide? You're the vintage guy. This is true. When it comes to purchasing new hardware, it really depends on what it is. For me, if it's going to be my daily driver laptop system, usually takes me months of research in some cases years before I actually purchase anything. And I'll talk to a lot of people, people who I trust. What I've typically been going for, if it's a laptop that I'm going to use on a daily basis, is it has to be a business grade laptop, which means upgradable components, a hardened case, and so forth. I won't go into a big box store and purchase off-the-shelf hardware. It's going to be quality hardware that I know I can rely on. It doesn't have to be top of the line. It just has to be reliable and sturdy, like good, sturdy hardware. Traditionally, it's been Dell Latitudes. The previous two machines were Latitudes. My current machine is an HP EliteBook. Although I didn't purchase this one, this was a gift from my former employer, part of my severance package. I'm though quite impressed with this machine. The keyboard's great. The feel, the function of it is great. It's very upgradable. I don't know if the CPU is, you can swap out the CPU on this one. I could on my previous two latitudes put a different CPU in. It has to be serviceable. It has to be designed to be worked on is the only way I'll purchase it. And it's got to have a smart card reader. That's a lower tier requirement. It's still important to me. That's basically how I choose a laptop. I don't know. I know you recently chose a laptop. I don't know. Are those things that factor in for you? My particular (laughs) needs are dependent on what the machine's primary function is. I view computers as appliances, and I know that's a weird take for a lot of people because most of them will, I do X, Y, and Z on the computer. Well, any computer I do X, Y, and Z on too, but what's its primary purpose, its primary function? And that to me is where I care about the most. The Asus that I just bought, that particular machine is, am I testing games on it currently? Yes, but that's to see what the GPU can do. So therefore, I'm doing screen captures at 1080p 60 and trying to figure out what it can do. The fact that it has a 144 hertz screen doesn't really matter to me. It's a perk, but it wasn't like what I was looking for. I've learned that a lot of it's it's a compromise between features and functions and price. Where's your budget? What are you willing to spend? And find something that takes as many boxes as possible, as close as possible to whatever price you're looking for. I didn't want to spend over a thousand bucks on a workstation type system or solution. This particular machine, I didn't. It was $949 to be exact. It's finding the right compromise in what you need out of the machine. That's my biggest thing. Like if you're talking strictly, if I'm looking at just buying new hardware, 
New used hardware or new to me hardware is a little bit different. Wendy, you have a lot of more hardware requirements and needs than probably really either me or Nate because of how you have stuff in your life. What is it you're looking for in your hardware and your hardware choice? Like you, it really depends on what the device is going to be used for. And I really don't have a problem buying used devices in general. So if we go back to when I built the system I'm on right now, I already had the case because I'd upgraded the case on the pre-built that I already had. And part of the reason for the need to upgrade that case, if you had been listening to Hardware Addicts, oh my gosh, that's a long time ago, right, right after we got started. The power button on my case was toast. And so I actually had the cord hanging out of the front of the case in order to <laughs> power on the computer. Yeah, it needed to be replaced. So I'd already replaced that. I already had a rock solid CPU cooler that at the time I was using Intel, but it had all of the brackets to be able to use as AMD. So when I built that system, there was already two things that already didn't need to be taken care of. And at the time I wasn't upgrading the GPU, I was sticking with the one that I already had. So I had a budget that I was working in and what could I get? What was the top tier that I could get for that price? One of the things that I went for once I decided, okay, I'm definitely going AMD. This is the chip I'm getting. What are the newest boards available for that? Because I wanted to have as much support for this new system as long as possible. And then the other thing that was kind of working within that budget, and this is just before RAM prices went absolutely crazy, I would have loved to have more RAM. But I also wanted quality RAM. So I ended up going with 32 gigs instead of 64 because budget-wise, everything else, that's just kind of where it was fitting. I way overdid it on the power supply, and it's not because I needed to. I just found an absolutely awesome power supply in the rating stance that I wanted and the fact that it was modular for a super good price. That one I just kind of fell into. I didn't mean to get one that awesome. At the price range it was, it totally fit into the budget and that's where I went. So for this system, because of what it does, it does gaming, it does podcast editing, it does some light video editing, I'm still working on that, and it does photo editing. It really needed to have the power to handle all of that stuff going on, not falter the weakest link in this system right now is the GPU and well, it sounds like it's getting better according to Ryan on the latest hardware addicts. If you haven't checked that out, he talks about his new GPU a little bit, go check it out. It sounds like they might be coming back, but at the time that I bought it right now, the GPU in this system is just the weakest link. Now, when it comes to like the kitchen system, all of that is much older but it doesn't need to be as powerful of hardware. So like I said, it really depends on what that piece of hardware is used for. It's an older compact Dell system. It still has a 27 inch monitor and I do like big monitors. On my main system, it's a 32 inch on the kitchen system. It's a 27 inch that used to be on my main system. And it's because I want to have multiple things going on or in the kitchen, I'm not necessarily having multiple screens going on, but I want to see it from a lot of different angles and stuff as I'm doing things. Especially if I start a video or something in there, my kids have a tendency to gather around it <laughs> as I'm doing stuff. So it just right. makes it easier for everybody to see because, you know, we're all watching a show standing in the kitchen instead of in the living room. Just how it works around here. 
unlike you, my kitchen system is a fourth generation to all-in-one machine. That's a Dell. Was on a vest mount before in the last house, but as of last night, I think I sent you guys a picture. I just got it set up and there's no place to hang it like I did previously. So it's just kind of under the corner cabinet area. Oh, and by the way, apparently granite interferes with Wi-Fi. So I had to actually move it out like four inches just so I could get Wi-Fi in it. That system, I don't ask it to do a whole lot. The weakest link I had in it before, like that was causing me problems, was a spinning rust hard drive. Putting an SSD in there made it so it's very, very usable. But what I'm mostly doing with it is looking at recipes, maybe like a YouTube video or, you know, maybe a podcast going while I'm working in the kitchen, maybe take notes. And if I hear something, let's say Matt sends me a link trying to enable me like he does, I can quickly click on that link. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> this is not a falsehood. This is absolutely true. So when you enable me, Matt, and I'm in the kitchen on the computer, I can save that link somewhere like on Simple Notes or in my TiddlyWiki or like on the Telegram save chats, any of those spots. So I can look at what Matt sent me later. I don't need a lot of horsepower. You know, but sometimes Matt will send you like a game that's really interesting. Wendy, you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, he sends you a game that's really interesting. Yes. You got to look at it. As long as the computer can play that video that Matt sent me, really, that's all I really need. And, and it's probably going to stay in that position for, I imagine, a couple more years. <laughs> yeah, yet. because those type of systems don't need to have a lot of guts. They can be light. You don't have to be spending a whole lot of money on them to get that power that is pretty basic. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's the thing for those that don't know. My old editing workstation that just got replaced, that was a secondhand system that I had just happened to be able to upgrade the GPU in. I couldn't upgrade the CPU anymore because it was at the max thing that the board could handle up and thermals and all that stuff. Little did I realize, actually, there was one more generation of video cards I could have upgraded to that I found out later by accident. <laughs> That's always how it happens. This is after I had dropped the money on the new one. I was like, well, that particular GPU equates to about a GTX 965 that is getting replaced within that system. This system I have is an EliteBook A760 Doug, which came out in like late 2011, early 2012 at best, because it's a second gen i7. That means officially supported because I only do content at like 1080p 60. I, I'm not looking for a whole lot here. That particular system will have at least a decade of some type of use. And that means I've spent about between base cost, GPU upgrades, and SSD upgrades. I've spent total about $500 on that system to do all my editing, all my audio editing, video editing, all that stuff on that one system. That to me is a heck of an investment because that's literally what, two bucks a week, give or take, it is more than paid for itself. And that was new to me hardware. Now, I got to say, I really like how you just did that evaluation of a piece of hardware because I think about these things too, not just for computer hardware. This is a while ago. I broke a cell phone and I said, it's going to cost me $100 to fix it or I can buy a new one. Well, if I get 12 months of use out of it, that's $10 a month. I can, or something like that. So it was, it was less than that. $8 a month, $6 a month, something like that. I can stomach that repair then, assuming I don't break it again, which actually it lasted me, I think, 18 months after that. I felt good after that one-year time frame. That's exactly how I look at it like for a computer purchase. One of my Dell Latitudes that I purchased in 2007, it was a $1,600 computer at the time. I got 12 years of use out of it, steady use. I think I extracted every bit of value out of that machine that I could. And the only reason I really had to upgrade, I could still use that machine today, but like the NVIDIA card, NVIDIA GPU in it, I wasn't getting new driver. So I had to use the Nuvo drivers for it. That's not a great experience, which I understand that's also the impetus for why you got another machine too. Also like some multimedia things then would start falling on its face. But outside of that, I mean, horsepower wise, it's not terrible. It's better than some of the netbooks I still use. Yeah. I think it really depends what you're doing with that machine, I guess. Because of getting involved in all this Linuxy stuff, you know, Destination Linux Network, that is actually why I purchased another machine, another Latitude, because I didn't have the horsepower anymore to do the things I wanted to do. That's the point when I have to determine when it's time to upgrade. 
my Latitude E6440 at about in 2017. Basically, just replaced the end of 2020. So roughly four years, essentially, a little under four years of actual usage. And as a $600 investment on that, oh, I'm still using it. I run those numbers. Is it time to replace it yet based on these numbers? Do you actually have like a cutoff number for you when you say, I'm not going to spend any more than X number of dollars basically per month when I extract it out? It's not so much a per month thing. Say my budget's a $1,000 like the last one currently was. If I can seemingly justify two to three years of use for this particular purpose of this particular use of this machine, and if it's going to succeed in that, then I'll go ahead and spend that money. It's more about whether or not I see the machine fulfilling a purpose for a certain length of time is whether or not I invest that money in it, if that makes any type of sense. Oh, it does. Obviously, sometimes things happen. Machines break their computers. They don't always last as long as we'd like them to and that kind of stuff. I try to, as much as possible, view it in an appliance way. You know, it's kind of like when you look at, a, say, a fridge or a washer or a dryer or any of that kind of stuff. That's how I tend to... That's right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I tried to look at buying, say, anything that's in that $1,000 price range. For most normal people like us, that is a significant investment of money Yep, and not one to just kind of, eh, if it breaks, it's like, ah, crap. <laughs> that's one of those things where I take more of a hard line. Do I see this system still being usable in two or three years kind of deal? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I only really talk about laptops, but as you know, the more computers than just laptops out there. And it's probably a surprise to some people. There are? Oh, yeah, I know. Wendy just uses desktops, right? For the most part? No, actually, these are the ones I'm curious about. Wendy, we've heard you talk about the service line. How do you view that particular line of products? Obviously, we've talked about how you would not spend what they charge for the new ones. They're absurdly expensive. When, say, you're looking at the devices like that, what is it you're looking for? Are you looking at price? Are you looking at spec? Or are you looking at just kind of a combination of everything? To be honest, most of the time when I look at laptops, especially new laptops, if I'm having one that I want to use for portable work, I end up just not buying one because I go, oh my gosh, the sticker price just about kills me. Hey, I could build an entire new super awesome desktop for that. So I really struggle to buy laptops in general. I probably wouldn't have bought or even looked at the surface if it hadn't been for some of the previous conversations we've had. And I don't necessarily do any work on them, but I have found them to be an amazing portable device. I use my Surface Pro a lot. My husband now has a Surface Book that he packs with him all the time. And what I like most about these specific devices and why I went ahead and purchased them was the availability to throw them in my bag for my husband to toss it into his bag as he's traveling to go up to the ranch or, you know, whatever he's doing. They run so well. The hardware inside these devices, while they're not easy to make changes to, they really do run super smooth. And the touchscreen part of them is really nice for the schoolwork, especially with my youngest child. Most of the older kids have gotten really good at being able to use a mouse, but he just doesn't quite have that fine motor control yet. So he can bounce back and forth between using the mouse and using touch as he's doing some of his different schoolwork and things. If I'm buying a laptop for using it for portable work, I haven't been able to find one that I can actually stomach buying just because of the overall cost of them, at least getting one new the use market's been crazy lately anyway. 
but when it comes to something that's light and portable, it still has to have a minimum of eight gigs of RAM. And I know for some people, they're like, oh, you can still get away with four browser heavy things like some of the educational games my kids like to play that are played inside a browser. Having that minimum of eight gigs of RAM really makes sure that everything is smooth and there is no issues with, okay, something else didn't get closed in the background or, you know, whatever's going on and there's plenty of RAM. I never like to be at that just barely enough when it comes to RAM. I want to be plenty of RAM. Yeah, I agree. Having that overhead, that RAM overhead makes life so much easier. Yes. Eight gig at this point for me personally is at the bottom end of what I think we can allow. And just paying attention to like my application usage. It's not so much the Linux applications or even Electron applications that are running. It's those browser tabs. It's amazing how much RAM is consumed by each browser tab. And then since I have poor habits of not closing, but rather pinning browser tabs that I frequent, I need that extra RAM. This Elite Book that I have right now, I have 40 gig of RAM on it because it can go up to 64 and it came with eight. Eight was just not cutting it for me. So I threw in that extra 32 gig of RAM, like that stick. And that made the world of difference, which by the way, researching the proper stick of RAM, Matt, that took me several weeks because there's just too much information out there and what's the best for what, how to get the right CPU and RAM balance. That made my head spin just a little bit because I didn't realize there was a difference and you have like the different latencies and you have to have the right latency combination for this CPU or garbage like. Anyway, that took me a while too. Hardware choices are always interesting here because everyone's got a different way of what and reason for picking what they do or looking at what they do. Everyone's got different needs, uh, expectations, et cetera, budgets. For some people, it's a compromise. Some people, they're going to go all out. Some people, like us, we kind of look at it depending on our situation and use. It's always interesting to hear what perspectives people have when it comes to looking at the hardware. Nate, as far as your RAM choices and stuff, learn to read some specifications. I don't know what to tell you. What I ultimately <laughs> learned is if you just go with the faster memory, the faster capable, the system should balance it. If I got like better memory and it came with not as fast a memory, it would be able to balance those. At least it's supposed to. Getting the answers as to what to buy was not very clear. Like the guides out there, they're not written for a numpty like myself. They're written for people who are experts in it. There's not a whole lot out there that as far as dumbing it down for people who are maybe ramping into it. That's probably something you could do, Matt. I'm going to work on some documentation and help people out with that with your videos. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the passive manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device.
Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Barring the snarkiness from Nate, what have you been doing at the new place to get settled in and stuff though? I went from having a smaller house, 1200 square foot house on a poster stamp sized piece of property in the downtown of my little town I live in. And I'm back to being a country mouse. I have about nine acres of land and I have, well, I guess there are four buildings on there, the house, a garage, a 5,000 square foot outbuilding, cubicle labs, and then another shed basically. What I'm doing right now is I'm trying to get everything set up. Move as quickly as possible. I put everything in to the outbuilding, the 5,000 square foot outbuilding. And so it's all in my way. And a lot of it's in the way of what's going to be my new studio slash gym slash retro museum slash Lego room. There's tons of boxes in it right now. But in order to get that cleaned out, I got to put the stuff in the house, put it in its place in the house. That's been filling up most of my time. So about 12, 14 hours a day of organizing, cleaning, basically triaging my stuff so that I can actually put it in the right spot. Hopefully by next week, I'll actually be in the new studio and be able to record from there where it's quiet, where you don't have kids running behind you. That's just happening right now. So I don't know if you heard that. Uh, but uh, the other thing too is the area where I want to put my studio doesn't have air conditioning. It has heat. It doesn't have air conditioning, which the heat is not really useful this time of year because it's summer here in the Northern Hemisphere. I'm looking at getting a mini split unit that's quiet that I can do a DIY install so I can have nice, cool workspace that's air conditioned and heated. So it's, it's nice all year long. So doing research on that as well, that's also been fun. So pretty much as I'm like lying in bed, getting ready to fall asleep, I'm looking at uh, what else do I need to, to do to get this place set up. I'm very excited for the future. I can't wait to actually take all my things out of the boxes and be able to play with them once again. Good times to be had shortly, in the next couple of weeks anyway. Wendy, since you moved in seven years ago, I imagine you're not doing anything like this. You're probably actually getting to play with some software. Yeah, I am definitely not doing any of that, though. I typically do some deep cleaning every once in a while when I just can't take it anymore. And it almost feels like moving because you make this gigantic, huge <laughs> flipping mess in order to completely clean out a room. But I'm not doing that right now. I've actually been playing with Tenacity more. The last episode was edited 100% on Tenacity. And I finally figured out how to get those additional plugins that I needed inside of it. So at first, I had saved those additional plugins that were automatically installed in Audacity. And I'd saved that folder and then I'd installed Tenacity. I just popped the plugins into basically the same file path. It just said Tenacity instead of Audacity. And I wasn't seeing those plugins in there at all. And I finally decided, well, I'm going to do just a little more digging. And I pulled it up and looked at the log and those plugins were missing some additional things. So I went back to the folder that I had originally copied. And I'm not entirely sure how to say the name of these plugins, but they're the ones that start with NY. That's the one where you can find the limiter and just this whole stack of other additional plugins for it. So when I went back and looked at that file, there was an additional file inside that had the Enquist additional things that it needed to be able to run those. So once I went ahead and moved that file into where it was before, now into the Tenacity folder, everything was working absolutely fantastic. They have already made some changes to the dark theme on Tenacity, and I love the changes that they've made. So originally, 
there was this pretty orangey look to it. And some of the other colors would work if you were using them as the colors instead of that orange. But some of them didn't show the inside wave quite as much. Now they're using this blue color and it is really a lot easier on the eyes. I'm noticing that there's some less strain in there. They've also made some changes to the shape or the look of the tools that you're using. If you have something highlighted and you're going to move from one side or the other, they've made that look a little clearer. The errors are a little bit clearer and it's nice to have that more defined look to it as you're highlighting and moving things around. Looking at the discussion page for Tenacity and seeing all of the different updates that they have planned for it. There's a lot of UI changes they're going to be working on. And I know it's still really early days, but so far I'm really enjoying some of the UI changes that they've made. What they have planned, I really hope that they're able to follow through with this because man, it's looking good. I even went ahead and jumped on the discussion on the GitHub page and say, hey, You guys are doing great. Here's a couple things that I would like to have if these features are possible to put in. One of them was a sync lock off warning. And this is where I get myself into trouble on multiple occasions. And it's really a pain to come and fix it after you've done this. So there'll be something that we're talking over each other or something going on, but everything that everybody said really added to the base of the discussion. And I want everybody to hear that. So I need to move something so that everybody can be heard on what they said and we're not talking over each other. So I have to turn off sync lock in order to move that around. Now, if I forget to turn sync lock back on and it's happened more than I like to admit, and then you go on working on editing just a single track and you're going through and all of a sudden stuff isn't lining up the way it's supposed to anymore. And you realize that, hey, uh, yeah, you never turned sync lock back on. And then you add extra work. Yes, tons of extra work. The the conversation isn't actually flowing the way it's supposed to anymore. Things don't line up. And then having to readjust and figure out where to get those conversations back in line. One of the solutions in that thread that I'd started on the GitHub page, instead of having like a color change or something like that, the idea was maybe you can hold a certain key and so temporarily turn it off. And as soon as you let go of that key, you're right back into being sync locked. And I really like the idea. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, I know. Wasn't that such a really simple solution for that kind of thing? Yeah, that's great. Hopefully that will work its way in at some point. And then I brought up the fact of favorites. So we'll see how that goes. Well, I love it. I like the fact that there is, I don't want to say competition is the right word, but there are other expressions of audio editing, like audacity and tenacity. If they say, oh, you know, fragmentation is a bad thing, but at the same time, it can actually allow two different creative points of thought to progress allows her to be more room for creative discovery and maybe other workflows and so forth like this. I think this is a great thing that you're, one, you're testing it, you're getting involved in the project, giving some feedback, and maybe things will improve on the Audacity sites. I see this as a great thing. I'm really glad you're testing it out. When things do fork and it's not always pleasant, especially as we talked prior about Audacity and that entire debacle of a situation, the fact that there is a group of people who are taking and doing and planning to, I don't want to say diverge, but make the project, their own project, their own from whatever base they're taking of from Audacity is really cool to see. And the fact that you're 
as everyone would say, be a good community mentor, get involved. Well, Wendy's doing exactly what a lot of people preach about to do. I look for it, especially that track locking. I swear, like with the key, I hope that is something they implement. I feel your pain there on more than one occasion. Oh, for sure. You'll do a bunch of editing on a bunch of separate tracks. Then it's like, you'll go back and play a segment of what you've edited and you forgot to lock everything. So you like, you have like all these weird overlaps and you're like, oh man, I have to move every one of these individually. Yeah. <laughs> it's annoying. Yes. And nobody wants to take that extra time in doing that. So the community so far that is working on this project has been very open to suggestions and it really is bringing one more choice inside the Linux community as what you can use to do your audio editing. Now let's jump into a little bit of game stuff, something fun, something that's not messing up your audio editing. What do you got for us this week, Matt? Might mess up your audio editing if you decide to go and play it because <laughs> it's taking time away from your audio editing. The game I actually got is one called Beyond Two Souls, originally a late PS3 game that was made originally available on the Epic Store for about the last, I think, six months, year-ish, give or take, has been available on Steam. For those that want to know, it's rated gold on Proton. That's with generic Steam play as the filter, not any special glory egg roller tweaks or any of that nonsense. I tried it on my new machine, played it for a couple hours, no frame drops, no nothing. It just literally, the way you want a game to work, you hit the giant install button, wait for it to download, then you hit the giant play button, it starts up and you just start playing. That's it. Nice. This is more of a interactive movie. This is not a game with a lot of quote unquote gameplay. This is also done by the guys who did Detroit Become Human. The thing that makes these games different is they are really choose your own adventure and choose your own approach kind of way to the story. And the story morphs depending on how those are approached and taken. You can have a really unique gameplay experience or story experience that is totally different from somebody else's. Small ways, big ways. That is something I really like about a lot of these like David Cage, uh, Quantum Dream games is that way of storytelling because it's different. It's not very narrow focused and with minor nuance differences here and there. Oh, well, conversation turned out a little bit differently here. No, literally these games, every character can die usually and the story just keeps on going. Hmm. It's an interesting way to tell a story. While not heaviest on gameplay, I would definitely say it's worth it. As far as like the graphics demands, they can be pretty hefty if you consider like a 970 hefty at this point. <laughs> um, I was playing this on a 3050 Ti and it worked perfectly fine, running 60 frames, maxed out everything. And that's on the entry level 3000 cards. So I'm not going to say it's the most demanding game in the world, but that's only running at 1080p too. So I don't know. Overall though, definitely a game I liked. You can usually get it if you want a story focused game. This is probably maybe 10 hours, like a 10 hour movie kind of deal or story. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's long. I'm not going to lie. That's because of the gameplay elements. Like if you actually look at the movie, it's probably like six hours. Maybe it's not like it'd be a long movie, but it's not like uber long. Is it watching The Kingdom, I believe, <laughs> which is like about the same length? It's one of those games that you can generically find usually on sale when Steam does a sale or even when Epic does a sale. It's usually anywhere from like $8 to $10. At 50% off, it's definitely worth the price of admission, I think, because it tells a unique story. So Yeah, it's $20 right now on Steam. If you get six hours of entertainment, $20 is cheaper than going to a theater. And you know, after you buy your popcorn and tickets and soda pop, I think you're well over that $20 that you would have spent on this. And the difference is if you're one of those who likes to see like every little difference in 
in something, this is one you can go back and play. Well, that's cool. The way I prefer to experience these games is more of a one-off, one-shot, because that's your story, that's your playthrough, and just leave it at that. I'm not one to go back and really replay these games, but that's just a personal choice more on how I decide to approach those games, because I think that's what makes it unique to those particular way of storytelling and stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, is this kind of like you get to a certain like decision point, then you have, say, this line, say this line, say this line, or go this direction, or is this more of a free world kind of a choose your own adventure it's a choose your own adventure but it's like there is a choice consequence there's like minute things oh i failed to do this action in time will result in a cascade further down the line so there's like minute consequences will have a bigger butterfly effect kind of deal okay that's cool it might not seem like a big deal or one failure in a game state can change how this interaction later in the same chapter happens there's a lot of different cool storytelling elements again it's not a game for gameplay this is a very one-dimensional when it's gameplay it's a lot of button prompts and all that kind of stuff so it's not heavy on the gameplay element gotcha again if you want a story focused game this is definitely one to pick up we'd like to continue the discussion with you on telegram and discourse mumble or discord visit the dln website for more information on how to connect to the social channels and all our shows and creators at destinationlinux.network for more information on me you can go to cubiclenate.com links to my regular written blatherings light podcast light and youtube channel also light uh, can be found there you can find my random ramblings on twitter at matt dln you can find me on mastodon at wendy dln at mastodon.online be sure to check out the dln merch store grab yourself some awesome dln and extend swag along with stuff from across the network. Hey, make sure you're joining the live deal and extend on August 18th at 11 a.m. Eastern or 3 p.m. UTC, plus the mega fest that's going on on August 22nd at 3 p.m. Eastern or 7 p.m. UTC. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Deal and Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. Linux. Linux. I got no one though. My numbering was all off again. We were started a different number and then we jumped to 23 or 25. So weird. Yeah, sure. Welcome to Riverside. (laughs) The thing is, it didn't work again last night for hardware addicts and it's really weird and it doesn't happen here and it only happens there. But I can hear Michael and Ryan, but sometimes Ryan can't hear Michael or Michael can't hear Ryan. So my real question, though, is, Wendy, can you not hear either of them yourself? I can hear them both. Then you have my sympathies. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the weirdest thing is I can hear both of them all the time, but one or the other can't hear the other. That is weird. Well, if Michael can't hear Ryan and he can only hear you, I guess that's an A and B conversation the entire time. <laughs> well, it means we've had to <laughs> switch to a different recording for... And this just started, what, this is the second one where it didn't work for because of that same issue. But it works good for us still. Just blame Nate. It's Nate's fault even though he's not there. Yeah, you can blame me on this one. Yeah. Well, totally. Okay. I mean, I blame Ryan all the time when he's not there. So, <laughs> you know, why not? It's because the whole move of my studio, it's causing everything to go, the whole network to crash. Yeah. No, no, no. You got to use Nate wording, cattywampus. All right. Nate, you sure you're all set? Let's rock it. Okay. I started talking muted. I was an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do I get hooked up with some of you people? <laughs>
Bad luck, actually. You chose poorly. Remember that scene on Indiana Jones and Last Crusade when the guy like takes the goblet? This is the goblet of a king, and he drinks it, and then he like screams and like ages rapidly and like explodes in front of him. And the knight goes, "He chose poorly." Poorly. That's basically your problem. You chose poorly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We also take topics from around. I'm starting to do you, Wendy, now. <laughs> as far as the ending. And with me today are my fine cohorts. Cohorts, that's good. Co cohorts. <laughs> uh. Side tangent to the side tangent. If you ever want to come out to Southwest Michigan, you'd have your own place to hang out here for as long as you wanted. Just as long as I continue to roast people, right? <laughs> yes. We could do like a crossover video, maybe on your channel. <laughs> well, yeah, because at least on my channel, it can not be PG or rated G. Exactly. <laughs> Instead of cubicle night, it'll be obstinate. Yeah. Obstinate. <laughs> One we haven't seen for a while. Yep. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> transition, transitioning back. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Side tangent. Oh, good. Okay.